Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Former Scout podcast. Today is January the 8th and we're doing an, a special electric themed episode with formulary journalist Hazel Safwell. Hello, it's exciting to be here. Yeah, it's a fun time. So we've got uh, an electric single-seater series in the works, ERA. We're going to discuss Formula E's attempts at its own feeder series, potentially a support series, but that'd be very difficult, um, and the electrification generally of motorsport below Formula 1. So I'll start off with the coming Formula E season and the grid we've got there. There's a few young drivers on there. Who are the ones we should be looking at going into the 21-22 season? Um, so for sure, in terms of people, there's been a lot of movement around the Formula E grid, uh, like just this last off season. Um, there was a lot of team depart. Oh, there were some manufacturer departures. One team has fully left. So there's been quite a lot of shuffling. Um, and so, uh, yeah, quite a lot of people moving around. Max Gunter, who's been really good for the whole time he's been in, in Formula E and came directly from Formula 2. He's still very young, actually. Uh, has gone to Nissan Edams, um, which it will be really interesting to see how he stacks up against Boimi there. Uh, he he had an unfortunate season last year uh, in BMW, um, although he did win a race. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not bad going. Um, uh, but yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see what he can do with that. The Edams car is tricky, um, or it seems to be at the minute. Um, and Boemi certainly has been underperforming, so it'll be see, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Max does. Um, there's uh, Sergio Sesto Camera is staying at Dragon, um, where he'll be up against Giovinazzi. Um, Giovinazzi is obviously a Formula E, basically total rookie. He did do one rookie test in the far distant past. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, he's got no experience in the series, and the series is very bespoke. Um, drivers do find it hard to sort of get their head around the difference. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Set a camera was really good last year, um, given he's in the dragon. <laughs> um, yeah. His teammate, he he was outscored by his teammate, but it was only because Mueller um, got the podium. Uh, got the, things, yeah. yeah, which yeah. Is, like that's a cheesy podium, <laughs> and everyone knows it. So. Um, uh, and of course, Dan Tickton is coming in, which I think everyone's quite curious about. Yeah, I think the most curious thing I am, I mean, I think he'll do well, but I really just want to know how he actually got the seat because financially he struggled to get on the F2 grid 2021. And then there must have been a little bit of money trickling in to get him into the, the Neo seat. Having already turned down deals elsewhere in the former mm-hmm. paddock, that's quite a, a coup, I guess, to, to pull him in there. Alongside Oliver Turvey as well, who's like, the opposite of a young driver, mm. but if McLaren ever needs someone for young driver tests, Oliver Turvey's always on, like, call, isn't he? The, the James Rossiter at Formula One. Yeah, so he, he does a lot there. I guess Mercedes has Anthony Davidson, who's even older. But he's retired now, so that's... Oh, well, he's retired from racing. He didn't yeah. say he'd retired from... Young driver tests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you so... can keep doing those, like, well after you've retired. Look at Alonso. Yeah. So, uh... And, you know, Mercedes, this is their last season in Formula E. Is. And they've got two almost journeymen in Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick De Vries. Uh, Nick got his Mercedes deal before he'd even won the F2 title and then went straight from F1 to Formula E. Um, have you been impressed by how quickly he transitioned to that? Um, I think Nick's really interesting. Uh, I don't 
in the, in his first season in Formula E, so season six was his first season, which is like a terrible season to be a rookie because it was uh, the 2020 or 2019, 2021 that, that obviously everything went to hell halfway through or less than halfway through. Um, so it was sort of a little bit difficult to assess actually where he was against Stoffel in that season just because it was impossible to assess really where anyone was particularly um, because because the final or because the majority of the season was six races in, in nine days yeah. in Berlin, you know, um, like I don't think anyone looking back on that say, season would say that Mitch Evans, for instance, had a really terrible season. Um, but uh, Mitch Evans, of course, the OG driver who came straight from GP2 to Formula E. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think anyone would think he had a bad season, but he did actually have a bad season because the majority of races were these ones that really didn't work out for him. So it's like, yeah, um, difficult to say. Certainly came out of the box like roaring um, for season seven, uh, De Vries did, uh, but with, you know, the absolute perfect first race of like a pole yeah. fastest lap um and the win uh he definitely he is Stoffel is very good and people forget how good Stoffel is so the fact that he did beat Stoffel um do I think Vandorm probably is slightly quicker yeah probably but he doesn't always manage to show it and I think the thing that De Vries uh does well and this is the kind of thing that you have to learn if you're not in the top team in junior uh, junior series if you're having to kind of like grab advantages when you can yeah then what he does is he doesn't get into many incidents he doesn't crash like which is especially in formula e like that's fucking hot <laughs> yeah no worries <laughs> um sorry uh but yeah like it's the part of the art has to be um to to score points you have to finish so the fact that De Vries can do that he also he has had a few drives where he's like come from pretty far back on the grid and and kind of sliced up the order he's also had a few where he's been genuinely mediocre but you can still finish when you're not yeah 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 Yeah. key thing but he scored less than 50% of the points that are possible to score last season on the way Mm. to the title so last year was pretty random in that element i guess um a lot of these teams do have reserve drivers and junior drivers the one i was trying to think of earlier was jake hughes at oh, Mercedes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah and he also does venturi because they have the same powertrain but obviously they're rivals mm. but clearly he's, he's an asset to them is there actually much of a pipeline to go from formula e reserve to formula e driver because in f1 some people turn down the f1 reserve role thinking it's a dead end and then mm. they'll never get to the the dream I mean, there's definitely been reserve drivers who have become full-time drivers. Um, Alex Lynn was originally a reserve. Um, And uh, actually, Alex Sims was a reserve as well. But I think he's been a reserve for absolutely everyone on every grid ever in any category. Um, uh, Yeah, I think obviously Norman Natto springs to mind, who, who did get directly promoted into the race seat for being the reserve and doing a lot of simulator work for for Vontary. Um and uh oh my whoa. Uh, Rene Rast, he was the oh, reserve. Yeah. Um Nick DeVries was also an Audi reserve the previous year. Oh yeah he was. Yeah. Um because uh, he did the world worst rookie test in uh Lucas's completely broken car. 
So he got like (laughs) 12 laps in a day or something. All of them just crawling around because the inverter was... uh, Destroyed. Yeah. Um, uh, Bicycle Visser was was, uh, reserved for BMW. Um, And so was Michaela Arlen... uh, Or Michaela Arlen-Kodzielewski was for Audi, which... Audi have claimed since, but I know they were doing this. Um, she, they were considering having to put her in the car in Mexico when Abt had the crash. Ah, interesting. Because um, she was just the only driver they had. Yeah, <laughs> good call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I guess Audi was an example there where you had the influence of Audi versus the Abt team, and then mm. there's some of the others like Tachita. You've got the Chinese side and the British side, and they don't necessarily work well with each other all the time uh well and the french side of course yeah uh, and yes, so, yeah. yeah um there's a lot going on there um yeah I, it, like the main thing about formula e teams is formula e teams have so little budget it's like mm. really quite mind-blowing they have less than a tenth of the budget of the f1 budget cap yeah. and some of them operate on almost nothing like the formula e budget cap that's coming in is going to be eventually is going to be 12 million excluding um driver salaries um and then it will be 50 million 15 million including driver salaries and would that cover the cost of buying the new chassis and everything once gen Free comes in yeah um actually that's because i guess capital I, costs I think i lot. think that's season operational so probably uh, the gen Free sa- chassis would like spare parts budget yeah, would be yeah. fine as well um oh no that would that would be in the 15 million so oh. yeah you've got you've got to reserve at least half of that for <laughs> bits of dilara um oh sorry spark um but yeah, like the budgets that Formula E teams operate with are so low. Like there are some that are running on like six or seven million. Um, so, or certainly there there have been in relatively recent years. So, uh, the thing you said about Tictum, like if he's brought any budget, yeah, that could be actually like a significant on the balance sheet. Would actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, if you bring half a million, it's not going to get you an F two ride. Yeah. But it could be a, a meaningful chunk of a Formula E team's operating budget. So it almost makes it easier to break in if you are a young driver coming straight from almost, not necessarily F3, but if you then do a season F2 that costs you three million, that could have been five seasons in Formula E. Yeah, you could have spent, you know, so... and, and for sure, if you turn up with three million to Formula E, like, yeah, you can yeah, have a driving seat. seat. Yeah. And then it's up to you to impress someone so that you can get Ah, which we've seen a few one. drivers do, like, like yeah. Gunter and Seti Kamara, but he's stayed at Dragon. Well, there's kind of nowhere else for him to go Yeah, at the minute. You've got a lot of, well, Degrassi's still there, Buemi, Van, they're all, all the old timers almost. <laughs> um, please don't say that about people who are younger than me. Um, uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of drivers who, there's, there's now only one driver who's, done every single race of formula e yeah um so lucas oh sorry two no there's still two yeah yeah lucas and and uh sam bird oh yeah yeah sam bird yeah um but uh all the others have slowly dropped off um but uh yeah there's it's interesting there's there's a few drivers who i really like sebastian Buemi, but i also do think he is he's never recovered form since season four and i don't think he he provides a lot of experience and value to edams yeah but i also think it 
it might be time for him to leave Formula E. And it's a thing we've seen with Dams across uh, junior single-seaters as well, mm. and they do some other work with other teams, is that the death of Jean-Paul Drio did actually affect like, the operations of yeah, everything. Absolutely. And having the stability of someone like Buemi there should, I'd hope, help in some capacity because he's been there the whole time through the, the Renault era as well. Um, I guess Nissan would be a good one because they're doing a brain tech thing throughout this season. So they're scanning the brains of their two drivers, Gunter and Buemi, and basically just figuring what the brain does when it's driving and when it's pretending to drive. And this is where like being a sim driver is really good and where Tictum's, I guess, market value comes from, mm. is that you can physically simulate your body as if it was in a car without being in a car. When you see drivers sitting next to on the grid and like Vernon Kay comes over and he's like, right, Pascal, my best friends, and starts <laughs> chatting them and they have their eyes shut, that's because they're not only visualizing it with a visual cortex, but their whole body's sweating and like doing all that kind of functioning. And I guess in Formula E, because you don't have, you know, like, testing at the circuits you're going to and stuff you no, need to be able to physically imagine what you're doing before you get in the car um which saves you like I guess it's an efficiency thing isn't it mm. everything's about efficiency in formula e. mm. um which is because i mean like especially for tictum so tictum has never driven a formula e circuit yeah okay like quote unquote formula e circuit because he's done testing at valencia but valencia is not i mean obviously it has been used for formula e races but it's it's not per se a Formula E circuit yeah so um and whereas Giovinazzi actually has because he he ran on the Marrakesh street circuit which is a an unusual circuit for Formula E but it's still yeah. a street circuit and very much it's one of the it. ones where they lay down new asphalt as soon as new events coming because it's essentially funded by the Moroccan government, government. Yeah, yeah 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 um, which you'd think they, the Moroccan government would then make it easier for race teams to actually get to Morocco and with all their equipment, but <laughs> never mind. Um, uh, it's one of my favourite circuits, so it really upsets me that they won't make it easier for people to race there. Uh, but yeah, so when Tictum arrives in uh, Diria, that's kind of going to be his first Formula E circuit because by default it's not like you can be like, Sorry, mates, when I just like close down the centre of Paris for a bit, we want to run a bit of testing. Yeah. And even then, when you do testing, you're not going to be doing too much on full power, are you? On quality power, you'll be doing it on... uh, Yeah, a lot of long runs and... And actually testing the programming and the software rather than seeing how the car does in like a racy context, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, And, and everything like... Because... It, because you're alone on track as well like if you're doing testing you're not going to be racing you're not going to be like finding out and this is something people find really difficult in formula e you actually have incredibly poor sight of the front of the car yeah. like you you have to just learn the awareness of where the front of the car is which is why they occasionally have like embarrassingly clumsy looking clocks yeah. because they have no idea um and so uh, yeah, it's a particular problem for the Gen 2 car. I don't know if they'll, especially because the front from, wing gets battery. From what I've heard from people doing a bit of aero work on the Gen 3 car, um, it's going to be, be harder to follow in the wake of another car. So mm. it's going to be harder to pass. But the idea is because it's sleeker, you can then get particularly on like, um, oh, what's the word? Not on like your peripheral per se, but it's like Riyadh at night. Yeah. It's going to be far easier to tell where the front of the car is because the way the it's more pointy and the yeah. basic light runs across the car. You can, as you long can as you've got a chrome livery, yeah. you've got a matte livery, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Uh, not another matte 
car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like um, everything about like working out where you're placing the car within Formula E. And, you know, remember these things weigh nearly a ton and they don't have power steering as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so who needs to react at the final second? Yeah. It takes everything. So that's good uh, luck, Dan. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, but, you know, with other street circuits, there are, I mean, he's a street circuit merchant. He's one at Macau. Yeah. He was absolutely insanely quick at Baku last year. Like the numbers on that were incredible to see. Although to be fair, Carlin basically had the best race setup for every street circuit in F2. And the drivers didn't quite get the most out of it at most rounds from what I understand. And Sochi's not really a street circuit either. Um, But he's coming in with that kind of pedigree that he can win on any street circuit he's raced on so far. Mm. Um, elsewhere in Singapore, F2 became a street circuit series last yeah, season. Yeah, with so. Jeddah as well, which was um, a very difficult one as well because that only got its hom- homologation like what day before? 21 hours before yeah, the last round. 21 hours before, and they were then making changes during the weekend to, to barriers and stuff. So that was pretty sketchy, um, which is what they do in Formula E. I was going to say that's, that yeah. sounds like us. Standard. Yeah. Um, and a lot, what are the venues this year? Because there's a lot of new ones yeah. if we get to go to them. So there's Riyadh, which is, I think it's an underrated track. Yeah, it's a really cool track. I, I, it, it's slightly difficult and like I've tried taking photos that show it. Um, so, and I, I certainly can't find it. I'm not like a brilliant photographer, but I do understand how this doesn't get shown. But it's actually got like massive elevation changes like huge um it's in basically there's a huge fortress in the way which is yeah. <laughs> is the problem um the ancient deria fortress itself causes the issue um but it is pretty cool that we get to smash up a unesco world heritage site for racing yeah i like it and then mexico city which i well f1 races that but none of the junior single seat series over mm. here do nakam f4 did last year in very odd circumstances then the rome track that's got that really really cool um uphill right left where gunter did a did 180 degrees and then snapped it back forward iconic Um, bit of drifting yeah Um, i think rome will have a few so it was significantly reworked last season and it's going to have to have a few changes this year um, the start line not being on a blind corner, I think. Yeah, that would help. It, 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 it just seems like a good plan. Yeah. Far be it for me to tell Scott Elkins <laughs> what to do. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Scott Elkins is doing lots of different things now because DTM's race director is going to F2. F2's one's going to support Massey and F1, pending that Massey stays. Elkins is doing Extreme E. Mm. Um, so that's change there. Then Monaco, which, you know, it's the same one as... Uh, yeah, F1 Zephyr, race race yeah. that so it's very different it was very good yeah incredible race that one was uh Tempelhof is it going to be the standard anti-clockwise one uh Tempelhof has already been turned into a double header so it, it's going to be one way and then t'other <laughs> but that's the one where they've got loads and loads of data on from the sim because uh, yeah. they've done it for years and years but it's concrete and I think this when I spoke to it wasn't even Roger Griffith. It was someone at Andretti I spoke to a while ago because I was ex- I was asking, like, why does all the indie Lights teams and all that always go to Sebring? Because mm. you don't, no one races there apart from IMSA. And it's basically because the surface changes and there's so much concrete there, you can see 
how much the tires basically get destroyed on very short runs. You don't have to do too much mileage to get that data. Um, and also it's just like a really cheap track to rent in a cold February morning in Florida. <laughs> so that's what they do there. But I guess that's very close to Tempelhof and corner kind of speeds and you've got a lot of concrete there. Yeah, I mean, Tempelhof is is unique because it's this um, Cold War era runway concrete and runway concrete is meant to stop a plane. Yeah. So, um, like, obviously compared to a car's tyres, especially a super low-lying car. Yeah. Um, it just chews through them and, like, it's very difficult to... Um, because the tyres are so limited in Formula E as well. They're ridge tyres, they're all-weather tyres, and, and you only get um, a maximum of six per event. So, like... That's not many. That's, no. Um, I'm thinking on a typical Euro Formula weekend, you'll get... Uh, two sets on Thursday an additional set on Friday and then I think you kind of you bring over a set from the previous round so mm. that's what 12 tyres already Yeah. then I think you then get another one to use if you have a private test session on Friday and then you kind of have to use all them for the weekend and then you nominate two fronts, right. two rears to then take to the next round but what they sometimes do which I imagine you can't do in Formula E but I know they do in a lot of junior single seater series is if you replace a driver in your car or you actually move a driver from one car to the other you can call it a new entry and that means you get a new entrance tire allocation etc so that means you get more tires and it's why when some drivers join mid-season in a car they haven't driven before everyone's like oh wow they did really really well and it's basically because they've got more tires everyone else will do free practice on Mm -hmm. tires that have already done 100k Mm -hmm. and they'll rock up and be able to actually concentrate on race prep a bit more Chembolic Bassi, Hungaroring last year, been a good example. And I think FIA European F3 2017. Um, it was one of the ones where either Jake Dennis or someone like that mm-hmm. came back for Carlin and just wiped the floor clean because they're a new entrant. Um, after Jake Temple, yeah. Jake Dennis is one of those drivers who, outside of a car, is possibly one of the dimmest people I've ever met in a nice way. And then once you get to a race weekend, you understand why he's very good. Yeah, but yeah. hanging around he's, in Milton Keynes, he's... His, his head is perfect, but does seem to be significantly empty. Yes, he saves it all for the race. In, in, in the most like beloved way. Um, then there's Jakarta, which will be on the, the beach side track mm, now. Uh, that's the latest yes, proposal. Yes, that's, that's the latest proposal that's um come up um who knows whether it will actually go ahead or where it will be corrupt government officials would decide (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah Um, we'll find out exactly what level of corruption wins yeah vancouver legendary kart track yes truly legendary racing games uh toke it's on toka too i think Mm. kart uh by which you mean indycar yeah Yeah, yeah. um brilliant track brooklyn Circuit, a bit like Riyadh, I never think TV has done any justice. But... No, it's really weird because it's really spectacular when you're actually there. Yeah, it just looks like you're driving for a dock. That's what I it mean, feels that is, like. I mean, that is true. Um, but that one is, I guess they can do anything with that layout almost mm. because they've got the freedom space there. XL London, nothing like it in the world, surely, based on it being indoors and outdoors. Yeah, I mean, it's a really weird track. They definitely need to make some changes and they will... So the track that was run last year is not quite going to be the track that's that's run this year. This year, um, uh, it was difficult for overtaking, and also like some features 
Oh, that track has, and every single driver said this, the best stretch of track that Formula E has ever had, which was this super grippy bit that they put down. As you go in. Inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Because uh, everyone was like, wow, I have grip. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, n- yeah, not our best track. An interesting one. That must be a difficult one to put in a simulator then because you've got to simulate extremely different levels of grip. And then Seoul, which will potentially run through the stadium, uh, the Olympic one, and could be crazy. Hopefully that goes ahead in August. Um, So those are the, I guess those are the staple tracks because although there's a few more they're talking to, most of these tracks are basically set to be on the calendar for the long term aren't they yeah um yeah i mean for sure like um well diria isn't going anywhere still got six years left on the contract um london also has a long-term contract berlin i can't see as ever (laughs) not running um mexico has been a bit up and down but like is i think it's locked in fairly long term now um monaco they initially had the alternating year one and now they've secured their every year contract yeah and on the full circuit as well which is even cooler although i do particularly like the original formula e layout when season one degrassi and pk argued for every session and it was just like a culmination of tension which is fun to report on um so yeah so those are the tracks the drivers have got it used to Mm. then and then we've kind of mentioned the single seater junior single seater tracks that are street circuits and they're very very different to what formula e races on so that's kind of what Tictum's got to learn in the space of 20 days. He's got to figure out Riyadh and actually get there, mm. etc. Um, And then a few of the others. I mean, Formula E does have a racing game now, does have a proper racing game. Mm. So you can learn a bit on there and where your breaking points are. Um, the main thing, um, so when drivers are being prepped for Formula E in the simulator, the main thing that they're having drilled into them, like again and yeah. again and again is the energy management um especially because so for drivers in formula e, um you'll quite often hear the teams asking them about energy yeah. and about things like temperatures because the teams genuinely don't have any information there's no live telemetry so um they have like a few safety readouts of like battery temperature in case it gets like super critical and brake temperature but they everything else the driver has the information on the dashboard so you have to get the drivers to a position where they because they can't ask they need to know what mode they need to enable and yeah yeah and you hear them talking in code a lot like in terms of so they've got to learn basically another language almost to communicate with the team which i guess i understand as well another reason why texan was probably signed because Mm. he is well known within engineering circles i guess for mm. being exemplary at that um but then taking he it talking on the radio as well yeah he does he does um definitely a character where he'll essentially go we're doing the wrong strategy and he'll say it in a very tictum way and some people might take offense to that but it's because he's already thinking two mm. steps ahead um which i guess is what all formulary drivers do is why they always sound so angry <laughs> on the yeah. radio well, that and they, there's no long straights where you can sort of like say something without sounding kind of yeah, bursty. like, Arr! yeah, um, which is another unique thing about Formula E. And I guess the key thing is it's it's open wheel, 
Um, well, it's technically not because it's got the wheel enclosed. It's a single seater. It's open wheel once you've got around turn one and lost your front wheel. Yeah, it's a single seater, but it drives nothing like a single seater. It has mm. totally different demands, and none of the teams particularly operate in a junior single seater way because they bring in a lot of engineers and like DTM mm. and a P1. It's that kind of experience you need uh, to run those teams. Now the other potential single seater series that does use electric power on the way is ERA. That's using a, not a Mitsubishi. It's a Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. I don't know what the copyright around that is. Um, and that's basically like a Dallara formula chassis from 07 with, I think is it two motors? Um, yeah, I think they're using kind of, well, there's two options. So either you can build your own or you can, yeah. um, open class or the yeah. school class, whatever it's called. Um, do you see that really taking off? I think I'd, I'd like to see it take off. I think it's an interesting thing. Um, it's, it was launched a few years ago now, um, and hasn't got there, but is still it's certainly still going the car is real and, and yeah. like there is f3 teams have run it they've actually yeah. been invited to do test days and just run the car themselves and there's definitely like it's not it's not um vaporware per se uh whether we will see enough entries to see a, a viable championship i don't know i think my i think its biggest problem is not quite differentiating itself enough from Formula Student. Because mm. um, that is a technology-led yeah. series more than a driver-led yeah. series. Um, but then again, everything depends on money. For example, in, in America, if you start like a team or a series in America, you get you literally sort out the TV rights and like the, all, the, all, the, all that kind of stuff yeah. before you even announce a championship. Yeah. Over here in Europe, we go, I've had an idea, I'll turn it to reality and then sort the money out later. Yeah. And they, like, it's not a sustainable model at all. But, um, I, I mean, for example, a few of the series I work with in Europe, they are dependent on the driver entry fees, paying the wages of everyone who works in the company and everyone they then have to bring yeah. in for events. So if you have a loss of entries, you're then suddenly with a money like negative money so that's not a good idea uh and i think with vra unless they jump on someone else's bandwagon and like join the support paddock um you know that otherwise i have to organize everything themselves well, they do have a problem though which is that they need to be in one country yes because formula e has this exclusive single seater contract to be the yeah. only fia world one mm. etc um that's another thing do you think if it if it be ERA or another series, does having electric racing on the support bill of non-electric motorsport work? Because like the point of electric motorsport is you're still trying to push this green message. Yeah, I mean my my feeling is that it doesn't. Um, so it makes sense. It would make sense, for instance, if there was an electric um, Formula One support series because. Um, the marshals are already trained to deal with high voltage. Yeah. There's high voltage um, safety equipment around. Um, they could share the safety teams and the medical teams. Um, and that is a big limiting factor in terms of what you can do with electric stuff because batteries are dangerous. Um, like there, there are different procedures. Yeah. Um, 
And because if you're going to an F1 grade circuit, then you're going to have sufficient power supply to be able to charge a series, which is another significant yes. problem. Like you need you need yeah. infrastructure. Um, so, uh, which is why you know Formula E used to use the act fuel generators and now uses um, uh, various things, um, but basically things that run on vegetable oil. Um, uh, some of it very high grade olive olive oil, which is like. <laughs> I don't know. Waitrose. Yeah, yeah. Wait, by Waitrose. Electricity by Waitrose, yeah. Um uh but yeah, the um the the problem would be so for instance if there was an electric support series for um say like GT World Challenge or something. Yeah. They they don't have the equipment on side, they don't necessarily have the trained marshals. You're putting in a an additional kind of burden on the series that you're piggybacking off, which shouldn't like that shouldn't be the relationship. Yeah. Maybe DTM would be a good solution because DTM are running electric stuff. So yes. and as they electrify cars like move towards hybridization and, and the electric class that they're kind of pootling around. Um, that that could be an option for for a paddock that that something like ERA or or a, you know lower grade electric series could run in. The problem with Formula E, and we saw this with Jaguar I Pace, which was probably or I Pace E Trophy, which was probably about the closest we got to a kind of like yeah. feeder series, and it was probably sense. more. Even though it's an SUV, it mm. probably drives closer to a Formula E car than a junior single seater would. Massively, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's actually more relevant. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, like even though that um, was very short races and it was like relatively small and contained as a paddock, it was difficult to fit it into Formula E spaces. Like both in terms of time and literally, like difficult to find enough space to put the paddock yeah. in uh, in a street circuit. So. Yeah, I think I think it's tricky. I know uh, you wrote about and, and there's been talk about the idea of using the Gen Two cars as a feeder series for Formula E. And again, it makes sense. Everyone knows how to run those cars. Yeah. It's already designed. It's already safety tested. You're not, you know, there's nothing. If you could secure a supply from one of the manufacturers, to which is currently yeah. a stumbling block. Because everyone wants to do it, but no one has a solution. That's and no one wants to make them. Yeah. Because you'd have to supply so many. Because you, you'd have to keep making this out of date thing. Yeah. The, and the whole reason they're they're actually getting budget from the boards mm-hmm. in Japan or Korea or wherever is so they can do R and D. If you're deliberately mm-hmm. not doing R and D, what's the point in putting the money in? I did wonder if Audi might do it because Audi. So Audi have been using. So they developed their Formula E powertrain and then used it yeah. for exactly one season. Yes, yeah, that is. Um, and they have been using it, so they put it in the Schaeffler DT- electric DTM car. They um, uh, put it um, uh, put it in their Dakar car. It, it's literally the Formula E powertrain and a DTM engine that are forming yeah. a series hybrid. Um, and I think they are quite keen to kind of use it for stuff because they did this R and D. But they've left Formula E. Yes, and that's, that's a, a like totally decisive decision. So they can't, like the board, can't kind of like undo that. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of speaking to two of the teams. It's like, oh, we'd definitely be interested in taking on someone else's powertrain. Mm. But it's only if we're not already running in Formula E 
as a manufacturer team, if we're an independent team, mm. then yes, it doesn't matter who we take on or who we're using mm. the software from, etc. But if they're already tied to another brand, they can't then use a rival's powertrain in the support series mm. or the feeder series and therefore stops the idea there. But it's definitely Nissan's enthusiastic about it. Nissan... Uh, Andretti is... And Nis- Nissan are building electric carts and, and kind of going into electric stuff for juniors. Yeah. Um, they Nissan were bidding with Ollie Rowland um, when he was their driver to be um, to get the Motorsport UK contract for electric karting. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, and of course Dams are a junior team, so that might be... I mean, I think realistically what they need is... QEV or someone yes. who are yeah. Hispano Suiza, but frankly, who knows what Hispano Suiza is? Um, where it's like it's a generic, it's the equivalent of Mechachrome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, no, so, you know, no manufacturer. If you're Andretti and you're running with McLaren, so I'm not implying that, I'm just naming random brands um, in the uh, in Formula E, then they're not going to care that you're running a QEV powered. Yeah, and, and QEV staff everywhere. They're yeah, dotted yeah. around Formula E, Extreme E, F2. Um, obviously, the sad death of Adrian Campos meant quite a lot of them then had to move around because Campos had like a lot of, I wouldn't call shell companies, but like yeah. lots and lots of companies that all There's kind of, de- of co-depended on each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that made things a bit tricky. Um, but the team's definitely interested. The I-Pace trophy brought in Rayhold, Letterman, Lanigan. Yeah, and then like some Jaguar team, Brazil Jaguar team, whatever. Um, yeah, and there was a few like Saudi racing, and um, they had another one. They had some Chinese. I think they're Chinese guys. Yeah, they they had a few because there was also the one that ran the kind of like not silk cut VIP one. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they had um, Tom Walkinshaw racing. Yeah, the cheetah with the cheetah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh i should be able to remember this stuff uh but yeah that, that's i guess that's another pre question then in that obviously andretti is a racing team beyond anything else mm. if you look at you've got some of those in there which are informally richer manufacturers mm. and a team like pensk which is with dragon but via j pensk accepts the actual yeah. pensk corporations now with the powertrain um Penske is like a multimedia conglomerate thing now. Mm. It does everything. Um, for a junior Formula E or a junior electric series, w- can you just rely on racing teams? Or would you need like manufacturer entry or manufacturer supported junior teams or like brands coming in from other yeah. areas of I mean, it would be interesting if research. like Jaguar ran a junior team yeah. in, in our proposed Formula E2 or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, the other thing is, I don't think you could realistically give juniors a full power Gen Two car. Yeah. Um, because you know, as I said, the cars weigh like over nine hundred kilograms, and there's no power steering. So, like, can't have seventeen year olds romping around unless they've got the upper body strength. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we have had like young drivers in the cars for rookie tests, of course. And like genuinely young drivers, not just. And Nick DeVries is really short and still limited in muscle mass. Yeah, yeah. so he can do. Um, uh, I think it helps being short. Uh, 
judging from some of ours. Um, Sam Bird as well. Yeah. yeah. Mind you, it didn't stop Jake Dennis, so, you know. Um, it also helps if you're tall, actually, because your head doesn't block the air, air intake on a Formula E car because there isn't an air intake. Ah. So. Makes sense. Yeah. And you can actually see where you're going a bit more. Yeah. If you're Jake Dennis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is quite funny seeing how differently they all sit. But, uh, I mean, Jamie Chadwick did a rookie test um, when she was quite young. And Big Jaguar. Yeah. And she's still very short. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, and she did Extreme E, which is... The, pretty heavy, yeah. Yeah, massively heavy. And probably closer to Formula E than any single-seater series is still because of yeah how you had to play around with like torque curves and, and things like that and understanding how the, everything works together. Yeah, very different. Well, and also because you get shaken to pieces in an extreme e-car, and that's quite similar to a Formula E-car. Obviously, yeah. the extreme e-car is like using its suspension to do incredible off-road things, but um, Formula e-cars, like all single-seaters, don't really have suspension. They're not built for comfort. So if you're going to rock it over a bit of rough, yeah. pothole Rome track, then... It would be yeah. pretty tricky. Um, going from there, there's then, so we covered off junior single seat slightly, Formula E2, whatever it may be called, mm. it's probably going to be a pipeline dream forever at this rate. Um, but certainly the driver's interested in doing it. I think when Formula E, ca- when, 2014, so mm. if you were seven years old in 2014, you'd now be 14 years old looking at doing junior single seaters and wanting an electric series mm. to go into if Formula E was what made you love motorsport rather than F1. Um, but before that, you got karting. Now, the German championship, you have ADAC Kart Masters. So ADAC does GT Masters, F4, Kart Masters, and that's, I think that might be Rotax Karts. And then they have the actual German karting, Deutsch Karten Masters, yeah. or whatever. And they have the OK, OK Junior Masters category. Then they have electric. They have a full electric championship. I haven't done enough reading into it, but I know that it is a thing in Germany and mm. because like we have the AA and the REC here, but ADAC as an automotive club is also like a, you know, like you get stuck inside a road type thing. There's a yeah. lot of infrastructure to support electric breakdowns almost. Mm. So therefore doing an electric car championship where everything is fairly basic to actually maintain if you're having something fail, mm. it works. And of course with a car, it's really light, it's really small. You can do it small. Um, you're only doing maybe 10-minute races maximum. Um, and most of it will be acceleration. And then in Australia, I think they're introducing something there, but it wouldn't be like a national championship. Japan's definitely had electric karting for a while. All those videos you see of like, um, have like James Corden or Jimmy yeah. Kimmel going around Tokyo and like those things. In the, in the Super Mario Kart. Yeah, that yeah. is literally just Japanese championship karts with Mario stuck on top. Uh, pretty much it's the easiest way to rent them for american tv shows and then britain now i know you kind of been involved in yeah um... I, I sort of was vaguely at the start of this so motorsport uk put out tender in late or mid to late 2019 for um people to put forward an electric karting concept and idea um there is so the argument for karting going electric is that you can make it simpler, um, like reduce the amount of cheating by some margin. Uh, yes, yeah, because uh, yes, because um, you can hide a lot more cheating in uh, an engine than you can 
a motor. Um, in theory, it would make it cheaper because there's fewer parts to go wrong. Um, and obviously a karting battery is not going to be hundreds of kilowatt hours. So you're not talking about a, a, the high initial outlay that you get with an electric car in terms of the prices an energy store um, and in principle you could probably make it slightly safer rather than having like petrol canisters sitting yeah. uh, next to your ankle or whatever um, the so yeah there's, there's a lot of argument for doing it also of course because as things switch over to electric then if you're going to be driving you know the formula E or Formula One car of twenty thirty, yeah. Then you're going to be a you know Formula One will take on more and more of a percentage of hybrid power, which is very very low the amount that it uses um, out of the the hybrid system at the minute. And uh, and as that develops, you're going to need to um, to understand how electric torque works, how you know um, what you can expect with that kind of thing. Arguably, an electric car would be much closer to a Formula One car now, anyway, like in the, in as yeah. much as you can make any comparison whatsoever between the two. Um, so, and and a simple car is not super complicated to run um, compared to like because I I know a lot of people sort of look at hybridization and they're like, well, it's making it more complicated and it's going to be you know difficult. You look at how complex Formula One cars, uh, Formula E cars as well are, but like that's just not the case when you're building something as straightforward as a car where you yeah. not, don't need to have like loads of readouts. You're not going to program in energy management software and stuff, and stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and worry about hybrid deployment and like, you know, torque lag or whatever. Um, well, you don't have to worry about torque lag in fact. Uh, but um, yeah, the, so it's not, it's not a kind of like, pipe dream to say that electric karting is something that can definitely be a viable championship um and uh, so yeah motorsport uk asked it's put out this tender a few people bid came down to to some final ones that the entry with um nissan and, and roland um and some people i used to work with called electroheads um with uh rob smedley who used to work at ferrari and uh williams and is now like the head of skillful cheating or something that's absolutely not his job title sorry rob um uh at, um uh, f1 so, so he's he's sort of like the the technical consultant for f1 finds the loopholes yeah yeah the teams do yeah or, or and sort of an ambassador for formula one technology and stuff um and he designed an electric car um which won the bid for it um so we and got launched at autosport international in 20 at the start of 2020 um obviously then 2020 happened so yes. yeah. um you know there's a lot of things and i i think you know 2020 had a big impact on on things like era as well because like they just had a completely suspended year um so i don't don't know what the timeline now is for for kind of things moving um towards that championship launching but it's definitely i mean it's it's motorsport uk backed and and it's it's happening um one way or another there, there will be electric karting in the uk pretty soon um 
Motorsport UK has been, especially in comparison maybe to some other motorsport organising bodies, a little bit slower in terms of adopting electrification or even allowing electrification at a club or track level. Um, so they only recently, or they only launched at the start of 2020 guidelines for running club racing that included electric cars and they had to be like untouched production cars and stuff, um, which is very limiting in terms of what you can do. But they are starting to train, or they did at that point start to train marshals in dealing with potential high voltage situations, um, start to educate venues in term, and, and clubs that run racing. So getting down to that grassroots level, that, that kind of entry level. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think one of the biggest... Um, game changes in terms of like the electrification of, of lower or lower is such an awful way of putting it um, but in terms of like grassroots junior series club racing levels will be if Janetta come out with a electric, electric car, car. Oh, yeah. that'd be cool like a, a, a Janetta junior EV would be would be pretty that'd be crazy sweet you'd, pr- you'd probably literally just hear the drivers in the cars like screaming at <laughs> god you do hear them quite a lot in formula e so like yeah damn that'd be quite fun imagine going down paddock hill bend with like 30 yeah i don't like going to snatterton it's so (laughs) so flat and annoying as a place and far away from everything um yeah i guess how how long would it well i know like doing a marshalling course and everything you can become a marshal in a few months like Mm. properly and i know like magazine features they like do it in a week to surpass it how much extra time would it add doing all the electric stuff or is it going to really not make much I mean, difference? I mean, I, I don't think it would make a significant difference, to be honest. It's all just that it has to be included and then it has to be a process of training people to train people and then training the people. And then the circuits have to have all the necessary yeah. stuff. Yes, yeah, and it's all things like having the right um, safety equipment and knowing what the right safety equipment would be for different cars. So, like... In Formula E, we've got these like huge plastic sheets that MDD, the medical people, use um, that are bespoke made to cover a Gen 2 car. Yeah. And obviously, we know it's Gen 2 car that you're going to have to get someone out of. So you can make a specialist, basically a car condom, um, <laughs> to stop yourself being electric because you can't touch the car. So yeah. it's like a thick rubber sheet. So if the car is live, then it's a way for you to extract someone. Um, or to move the car or, or to interact with it. Um, but if you're looking at, say, like club racing, you don't know what shape the car's going to be. You don't yeah. know. And, you know, things like, so for instance, if it's a Tesla, they are not naturally built with any way of escaping the car in a crash situation. Like, we know this. They're, yeah. they're, they're not. Um, people would get in my mentions to be like actually Tesla is very safe um but like we know that this is this is a problem um and especially they're not going to be built for any kind of situation where you might say roll it yeah like uh, in, into yeah. some gravel one of the weird things about extreme e having been like poking my head around the car is if you roll it and you land on the roof but also on the driver's door mm it's actually impossible to open either doors or the hatch on the top to get out and you have to wait for an extraction crew. But if you're stuck in like the Saudi desert, mm. that's a long time to wait and to them, for them to do the checking the lights, see if it's mm. live and stuff. So 
hopefully the Odyssey 21 changes a bit there. Uh, because it was a racing series, I don't think they were expecting that kind of issue um, mm. there. But that's another thing, is once you've told... And I guess in the UK, we have Motorsport Vision that owns a lot of tracks, and that mm. means you can apply it very easily to a lot of tracks and always yeah. have stuff in stock. Um, once you've told the, the marshals, once you've taught them, once you've got the tracks involved, you can then presumably take it back to the car manufacturers, because obviously mm. single-seaters are prototypes by nature, and go design it to these kinds of uh like these kinds of safety features aren't just for the driver but are for the people who recover yeah. them because um, yeah. the rear jack point is um it's a safety feature for marshals essentially yeah, it's a yeah. way to tow the car without you literally sticking your hand underneath and mm. getting chewed up by the wheels uh or something any moving parts problem is obviously billy munger had his horrific crash and had to mm. completely redesign jack points um, but if you can introduce like the, the little lights, say if it's live or not, and things like yeah, that, yeah. that would work with the junior series. So electrification of carts that's fairly plausible and on its yeah. way and maybe unstoppable. Junior single-seaters looks more difficult, but hybridization, which is a yeah. mixture of the two. Um, the current generation of Formula 4 cars and when Formula Regional Gen 2 is in- announced, and that will probably be 2024, I think. We might kind of get the FIA telling us that will happen. Um, long, bring back Formula 3, but mm. never mind. Um, yeah, they will be designed with deliberate capacity for a hybrid component. Mm. When Renault was making its current engine, actually for the, so it was making a road engine for the Clio, uh, the latest, I think, sixth generation Clio, in mind that they were going to make it for the Clio Trophy, which mm. is on the road and rally, and they've now got the new ICE series doing Andros, with the idea that it would then be hybrid element They've then just taken the engine out for this new support series to Andros they announced like two nights ago. Um, and they potentially have the capacity to put the hybrid engine in a future Formula Regional car because they've designed the engine for it. So um, how plausible is that hybridization cost-wise, logistics, for, for going en masse, putting hybrids and everything? So... Um, again, this is the kind of thing where people would look at Formula 1 would look at even a Formula E team. So a Formula E team's budget is a completely unachievable, yeah. unrealistic goal for, you know, um, certainly an F4 team or a Formula Regional team, um, even though it's low for what Formula E is. Um, but um, if you're... And, and, you know, people look at, well, look at the way that costs escalated, the com- uh, complexity e- escalated in Formula One um, when they introduced the hybrid elements or even in Formula Two when they introduced the turbocharger. Yes. Um, so there's that element of like, is this going to just like wreck things in, in cost terms? Um, yes, it's possible it could. Though this is something that has to be managed. Um, so what you, the way that you can do it is because, of course, um, junior championships are spec. Um, so you make sure that there is a powertrain supplier, that there's a battery supplier. Um, you need to, in, in terms of the hybrid element, um, and that's basically what all, a lot of grown-up series is done yeah you know wrc has done it lmdh is the same um so they've all just you know commissioned someone 
to build it's, it's almost yeah. always qev um uh or or some variation thereon williams advanced engineering does, yeah does williams well. um and and Chrysler, who are a battery manufacturer who make the battery for the race bird the strange like oh the boat thing yeah yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, um it's a sort of uh, hydrofoil yeah. yeah yeah um uh yeah so Chrysler are involved in a, a lot of the battery manufacturing stuff um so you make sure that's all generic and you probably should make it as common to as many series as possible so it's not just that there's a hybrid element it's that the hybrid element is is common to a huge number of part of championships yeah so engineers can move between them um you then give them a set of programming so the hybrid manager give each series a set of programming or yeah yeah probably each series because you'll have a differing power level between formula regional and formula four for instance um so because you know horsepower changes is different chassis so you know um and then you you make sure that there's different hybrid maps that they can select um that there's different you know power modes and stuff so there is there is an introduction of some significant complexity but without the enormous cost of the programming the programming is a huge part of what you know formula 1 and formula e spend That's, their money yeah. on um certainly the lmp1 h used to spend its money on um and you make sure that those those elements are, are very controlled. Um, there is, it, especially you have to control the software because there's so much capacity for cheating. So like that just has to be uh, completely locked down. And then... Um, is that is that then something you'd have to have? Because obviously you said there's no lifetime between Formula E, so the drivers are involved. Mm. If you put all of these things in the hands of a 15-year-old and they make errors and get themselves disqualified because it would be a technical irregularity. Yeah. They could end up doing that maybe like 10 times a season if they're not thinking it through properly. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of us try it. Um, uh, so would you have to take it out of the driver's hands almost? Um, I, th- I think what you do is you give them relatively simple information. So you do have that telemetry back. So in the same way that, that you know, in single-seater series, it's not like, or junior single-seaters, it's not like there's the terabytes of data pouring off yeah. the car in the same way there is in formula one um but where the teams do have that information where they have you know the battery temperature the brake temperature um things like how much current is being moved between across the hybrid system and, and what's being delivered and where you're going to have to let them have that live which does increase the cost because there's going to be have to be data interpretation. So again, you give the teams the software to interpret the data, yeah, and give them a pit wall and and an interface for that because again that that gives control, um, and does prevent a lot of the creep of of escalating costs. Um, I think yeah, it's it's something where yeah you know, we can see that that this has gone wrong not just before but yeah. recently you know f2 it's it's absolutely that they made the car more complicated so they have the well it's not hybrid at all but they have mm. the throttle mapping yeah there's a lot of interpretation of that and uh when they first introduced the turbo it was just chaos but then liam lawson got disqualified last year at monaco because he used the normal throttle map for the warm-up lap but then forgot to switch it back onto the start line yeah. version and then at the end the data trace says you're on the wrong one and then he gets disqualified like yeah simple simple error but 
Yeah, I guess even at a team end, they could do that as well. I, I think the thing would be that you, so for like real young people who yeah. are just starting in cars, then you'd have to give them fewer options. So yeah, it's not that you have to switch between, you know, Formula 2 is the step below Formula 1 in theory. So like Should be, Formula 2 yeah. being complex isn't necessarily a problem. Um, but the uh, for an F4 driver, yeah, you're going to have to say there's, say, four energy modes available and you pick one for the race. Yeah. And that's it. Okay, so, that makes sense. You have like a qualifying one. Yeah, race one. yeah. And what I, one interesting thing they do in Italian F4, and I think they're going to bring it to British F4 as well, is you have, well, I guess you have, you, you have like the stewards team mm. and you have Emanuele Piro and people like that. And whoever took pole, is it pole? It might have been pole from the previous round. Then they bring all their telemetry from their fastest laps and all the onboards and they bring everyone into a room and they just show it and they just hand it out. Mm. And they go, this is the fastest person. This is how you can be them. I presume that's almost a way of cutting costs because you're like shortcutting the way to the top yeah. for everyone. But could you do that with then the mapping and like the software from that? If you can then almost give it back to everyone and go, this is the most efficient way we've someone's found to do it this weekend. Here yeah. you go. Um, but with yeah, that... for sure. You could be like, look at, you know, this is the person who ran the least fuel and... Yeah. yeah like all of those decisions because of course like in junior single seaters that's another thing where you can i mean that's yeah. that which is a strange area of complexity that like f1 you have to start with 100 kilograms of fuel and yeah it's... in f2 you can pick your fuel load mm. and then in testing particularly young drivers who so if you're a team if you want to sign a driver you'll deliberately underweight the car mm. make the driver look fast the driver signs then you have to put in all the effort to actually make them quick. Yeah. But hopefully they've come with enough money that you can... That you've got, you've got the capacity to yeah, do Yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah. a driver coach, or they've got their own driver yeah. coach and performance engineer. Get Jake Dennis on the blower. Yeah, that would be that'd be fun. Um, I have one other aspect there for is... So we've taught all the marshals, we've taught mm. the teams, the circuits. Now we've taught some drivers, choose those mapping... They then go back after the session and they run through the telemetry with their engineer. Mm-hmm. Are these engineers, if this does, if hybridization does happen, are we going to be bringing in more engineers from F1 and F2? Particularly, I think if F1 grows its calendar to mm-hmm. like 26 events per year, are we going to have these super experienced like engineers suddenly returning down to like club, like club level stuff and get more involved in that area again, even if the pay is, because the pay across junior synchrosis is awful, but... Yeah, but on the other hand, you could be working, you know, 12 weekends a year instead of 23. Yeah. And um, and you might be working all of those in one country, which is a lot less painful. Um, and to be honest, the step for an engineer, depending on what they're doing, like engineers and mechanics between yeah. F2 and F1, the step is not as big as is for some other roles. So... I think, yeah, we will see, there will be a lot of, like, sharing um, engineering expertise across different championships. Um, To some extent, that's always happened. But, yeah, you'll see people who've worked on, and also it will become a more attractive role, I think, because there will be a more obvious application. So if you're an F4 hybrid engineer 
then it's obvious where your pathway to say running LMDH, which or whatever yeah. whatever the the LMDH equivalent by this stage is. Yeah. Um. So I think. Yeah. Um. You know, engineers and mechanics have to be highly qualified in any series. Like running race cars is not like wrenching your own car. So, um, well, apart from in lemons, when it might actually be your own car. Um, but uh, all that Twingo racing series, in which case it's my car. Um, but yeah, the um, I, I don't I don't personally think it's going to be a huge issue, partly because the whole of um, engineering and mechanic training and stuff is going to have to change anyway change for electrification anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would that be at like a school level? Yeah, up. I mean, Sorry. yeah. From from the moment you're doing your apprenticeship, you're going to be looking at oh, that's the thing. Hybrid stuff. Um, I can't. So when I did Extreme and Dorset, the on the weird press day on Wednesday, which basically involved me bringing a cuddly beaver into the middle of nowhere and then getting Katie Katie Mannings to hit it with a spade, and Sarah Price to throw it into a dam and various other and we we burst it through timmy hansen's chest like alien the, the things we get up to in professional motorsport unlike junior <laughs> single seaters um but there was loads of school kids who came along yeah, yeah and they designed their own racing car from scratch and it was all electric and they drove it and they said they got like a top speed of 40 miles an hour um but i don't think they did formula student i think they had it in like a regional competition mm. and i didn't realize that like I've, like formula student was around when i was at school mm. but it's it's clearly got even larger in like the yeah, yeah. five or six years since and there's a lot more of that kind of like lower level so like because yeah. student is is university level yeah um, whereas like it's, it's going you know down into programs that are, are aimed at much younger children yeah like um, gcse level or whatever the equivalent is in america yeah etc i mean like because kids somewhat anecdotally but like kids are really interested in the the electrification like I did a talk at Peterborough STEM Fest um in I don't know 2019 2020 I can't remember when it was um but uh and I was talking about batteries and I'll be honest I wasn't like the big sell of the day there were some like people doing explosions and someone off the telly and stuff and like I was kind of expecting not very many kids to turn out and especially for them to kind of maybe tend a little bit older because it was like four yeah. till 17 or something. There were so many and they were well into it. They were really interested. Um, and like, uh, you know, oh, there's always this sort of like cloud over motorsport of like, oh no, the only things that are interesting are V12s and like, the roar of these engines. Yeah. Like, no one cares about them. Like if you're, if you're twelve now, you never heard of E10. You don't care. And like, you, like back in the day, people interacted with motorsport either from reading about it, in which yeah. case the journalists were, you know, so yeah. stuffed on how cool is this huge V10 engine. Or you went to a racetrack and you experienced things yourself, and you're like, that, whether it be single seaters or yeah. GTs or whatever, those are the cars that then pulled you in um and like i grew up on autosport magazine entirely just like mm. going oh the little tiny paragraph about sudam f3 this is the best issue yet <laughs> um but nowadays you've got kids who have ipads from the age of three really um maybe don't have instagram at that age but they're seeing 
you you become racing drivers become heroes in different ways. You then got obviously there was Skelex trick back in the day, and um, I want to say Hornby, but obviously that's trains and like yeah. Hot Wheels and stuff. Um, but you're going to have different ways of getting almost like the merchandising of yeah. Because when you think about like now, how many racing games there are and how much yeah. um, interaction you can have with motorsport in that sense, and you know, sim racing is a valid sport in its own right. Well, esport. Um, yeah. like the actually, that's an interesting aspect as well. Like as junior single seater drivers are you know if you're 14 and you arrive in hybrid f4 but you've been mucking around in hybrid cars in a sim sim for for years then yeah that's gonna be a big because then you know you're gonna be able to down take in all that info you're gonna be doing that for like three hours in the middle of the night Mm. no food you're gonna have your mum walking in going like Come off that PlayStation right now, and, yeah. and you're, totally you're like, in the zone. "This is going to be what gets me to F1, Mum." Yeah, and <laughs> they still post like lap times within half a tenth of each other every single mm. time. They'll do that for hours and hours and hours. Um, but then they all become short-sighted. That's I. I want to do a study in like mm. five, ten years' time, seeing which drivers are wearing glasses and basically go, "Can I figure out how your eyesight's degenerated over time? How much sim time you've done?" Because if you're in like an who's, F1 who's sim been rig, completely irradiated yeah. by blue light. <laughs> an F1 sim rig does actually, they give them the special glasses to use. Yeah, yeah. And I know a few junior drivers have, uh, Gianluca Petitroff, I think, is one example where he basically said, I refuse to do any sim work mm. unless I get special glasses. I don't want my eyesight to go bad. Um, yes, but if you're in like an F1 sim rig, you have what, maybe like 10 meters if you're yeah. in like the big, like hydraulic ones. Whereas if you're in your room on a, racetronic wheel and whatever you're going to be yeah. half a meter away from the screen for hours and hours and it's a flat screen yeah uh and it's going to be bright and you're going to be in dark room uh as dan tixham said i'm a part-time racer full-time gamer or something last yeah year. so that i guess that's a benefit but it's also genuine health concern in the long run because if you are short-sighted when you get to racing 10 years down the line you're going to be making errors like Bordet wore glasses. Um, Sims obviously Sims, wears glasses. Yeah. Who else is there? Uh, quite, quite a lot of mine wear contact lenses. In secret. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few of them that, that occasionally wear glasses. Um, I mean, I think to be honest, racing drivers probably have about you know they're going to have about the same distribution of bad eyesight as as, as, as the as general population. Um, and especially people who have had stuff fly into their eyes, uh, like relatively high speeds, because they do all get stuff through the visor and stuff. Yeah, that is. I've been. I've eaten a few flies in my time from mm. cycling <laughs> at high speed across the Netherlands. Um, so we covered that. I've covered off hybrid, ERA, Formula E, carts, F, F4 electrification, sim racing a bit more. One thing is Formula Scout was organising a sim racing thing that was supposed to run this month or next month. Um, But with how the UAE cans has changed and a few other winter series and how IndyCar is doing a bit of restrictions on private testing. So a lot of the IndyCar teams are now actually doing more sim time. Mm. And we were planning to attract some of those drivers. So that won't be happening this year. But the plan is, if anyone remembers the April and May Isolation E-Leagues, which were incredible sim racing tournaments during lockdown one we plan to do that next winter that is the plan um 
anything else on electrification and racing? I can't think of anything. Yeah, I think we've been pretty comprehensive. Yeah, and we haven't forgotten anything, which is like on the spot type yeah. thing, like, which is good. <laughs> um so yeah that's the end of the podcast hopefully this will be embedded in a story with a bit of update from era because i've tried getting in contact with them again and a bit from roger griffiths about basically what they want to do with formula e2 or whatever you're going to call the the mm. feeder series but the possibility of it actually existing because there's just so many okay then how do we do this how do we do this and it's you almost need an alejandro again to literally drag them through it but if because it's going to literally be a collaborative thing from the off this time, it's just too difficult to get it off the ground. So, the end. Thank you for listening. <laughs>